Uh, this is EricSwanRacing.com podcast number 92 with Trevor Watson. So thanks for coming on. And uh, you are a big motorsports guy in the industry. So I wanted to get your uh, get your opinion on things and just have a chat. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on and look forward to chatting with you for next hour or so. And, and uh, all things motorsports, man, it's going to be fun. For sure. So let's start with uh, your apparel. I see you wearing a Carbonin uh, bodywork hat and Gelfer brake lines. Those are some big brands. Carbonin is definitely a newer one uh, to, the, to the industry, it sounds like, or at least the United States. Yeah, uh, they get distributed through uh, Hustle Hard. And um, Andrew Lee um, hooked me up, geez, a year and a half ago, right before I started getting back into road racing. And he, uh, he saw my posts on Instagram and stuff. And it's like, Hey man, we have this set of, uh, carbon and bodywork for your CBR 1000, uh, S one. And, uh, it's all painted red and everything. We want you to try this, this new, um, paint out and see how durable it is. And I've had a full season on this stuff and it's fantastic. Fortunately, I haven't, I haven't crashed in it. So I couldn't tell you how good it is crashing. Uh, but the fit and finish, the quality, um, everything's pre-drilled. It has the Zeus fasteners ready to rock and roll. It's all just a couple Allen wrenches. I mean, some of the stuff like the pros talk about, like uh, Jason Ravi and and uh, Corey Alexander and Tyler Wyman, some of these guys that run that stuff. I mean, they can attest to it. It's it's pretty legit. It's not cheap, but it's uh, it's good stuff for sure. All carbon fiber. It sounds like no, no, no. It's a uh, avial fiber is what they call it so it's, it's some sort of hybrid and then but all the pressure points are reinforced with carbon fiber so it's uh yeah it's good stuff it's flexible it's it's solid man no issues with it and it's really easy to take on and off i can't say that so much for the street work yeah uh, like i probably couldn't even i couldn't even put it back together if i wanted to there's so many nuts and bolts and it's not like the old days for sure but yeah the carbon and stuff is good and and then the galfer stuff um uh, they they're they're sponsoring me for 2022 so I uh, got to represent, you know, they, they, they make them some good brake lines and I was running ABS on my S1 and uh, I can go in that a little bit uh, later, but uh, I tried to keep my bike as stock as possible. And that was kind of the agenda behind it is like, Hey, I'm going to take this street bike and go race it with minimal I'm talking about minimal stuff done to it. But it got to the point with Moto America, uh, we can't run ABS. So as, as much as I'd like to, maybe in a rain race or something like that, uh, it was just becoming a little bit of a hamper. And plus with the ABS, even with steel braided lines, you do get a little bit of fade because um, there's all that metal plumbing that's through the bike that doesn't like to cool down. So That makes sense. Um, everything, it changes a little bit when you change materials, change electronics, what's going on. I've heard some people talk about in the grass, they like to have ABS so they're not just uh, – hitting the brakes and, you know, tucking the front or something like that as easily, yeah. not saying you can't do it, but you know, you maybe could, I think it was Marcel Ernie. I was watching one of his videos and he was talking about, uh, Oh man, I'm so glad I had ABS. I was using the front brake in the grass and I didn't crash. He's oh, like, no, nice. you know, that's a little hairy, but um, I don't know if it's that good. If you can trust it that much. Yeah. I don't know because um, I can only speak for my bike and I'm sure the BMWs, maybe the Ducati, some other ones are very similar, but uh, there's five different bank angle sensors in that thing. Right. So as you're going into a corner and you're kind of trail breaking in, the lever will actually release. So it's not like your car where you get like the pump and the paddle in your lever or anything like that. It doesn't do that, but you can literally feel the thing releasing. It doesn't come back to your knuckles or anything. 
it actually kind of goes the opposite way and say, Hey, dummy, you, you're going, you're too deep on this thing and in, in electronics and trying to figure it out and get the maximum traction. But I've ran off the track, but, uh, ABS was unplugged. All, all I did was just unplug the fuse for the pump, uh, on the CBR, you do have to keep the pump in there. That's where all the traction control and all the brains of it kind of goes through. Um, but yeah, I would just unplug the fuse and, and run ABS lines that, uh, didn't work. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, that always brings up the question of obviously there's MotoGP, which is the development of all the technology for motorcycles and Formula One would be the car equivalent of all the open wheel technology being developed yeah, and the, yeah. the hybrid engines and all that stuff. But those two championships still have tons of restrictions. What oh, yeah. if there was an open class, a purely open, do whatever the hell you want to do? Uh, for for both cars and bikes, I think that would be really interesting because we have the technology to maybe you know predict suspension uh, per corner, uh, so you can have different settings per corner and all that. But that's banned. You know, there's so many technologies that we've developed that are on the shelf. Yeah, yeah, some of it's out there, right? And kind of back in the old days, some of that stuff was baked in to uh, ECUs and stuff like that with the old Yoshi boys running basically GPS and their tracking. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the track and no wheel sensors, but exactly where that bike was on the track and kind of could retard the timing and stuff like that per corner. And I'll never forget the first time I saw that technology actually happen is when they said, Oh, it didn't, it wasn't happening. Right. So I was at Miller Motorsports Park and you would see Zemke come out and absolutely just smoke in the rear tire. You see Eric Bostrom and the boys just smoke in the rear tire. And then Matt Maladin comes through the attitudes and you hear the bike go, coming out of the corner and then he bounces off the rev limiter going to the next corner. I'm like, look at that. And you can actually see the dotted lines on the track where it slip, grab, slip, grab, slip, grab, slip, grab. And I'm like, dude, you can't, it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> and when you physically hear it too, it's, it's crazy, but yeah, it'd be cool to have some of that stuff. Um, if they're not pushing the envelope, they're, they're probably not doing their job. If they're an OEM or a mechanic or a crew chief, you know, if they're not, looking for those gray areas to get the most performance out of it. They're not doing their job. <laughs> yeah. And now this year, after the first round, um, it's been in the second round, even for MotoGP, mm -hmm. um, you see a lot of different manufacturers up, up, uh, up top, you know, KTM is killing it and Yamaha is right there. Um, Ducati, you know, they have eight of them on the grid now, so they're everywhere. It seems like. It's everywhere, man. They got all the privateer teams, the Rossi team, obviously the factory it's it's nuts um and how are you going to beat that as far as the manufacturer goes you know they're going to win the manufacturer's title they got you know over a third of the grid are on ducatis um but there's a lot of good parity out there um the yamaha is obviously a little bit older and i think there's i think they're running the new 2022 bike but they're not having good success with it yet uh fabio's riding okay of course but the track conditions in in um indonesia were challenging um but the Suzuki's are, are hauling now and they've obviously been handling really well, but they got the horsepower figured out. Um, seems like the Hondas are doing really well. I think with, with Mark, this last deal, um, you know, they got a lot of rear traction and Mark is a dirt tracker, man. So he likes to kind of slip and slide that thing around. And uh, I think they kind of tuned in some of his old bike and that thing. And that's why you saw him kind of slipping and sliding and, you know, spin himself to the moon. So I don't know. I hope he's okay. I know he has double vision, which was announced again today, but um, yeah, those, those boys are crazy. And the parody right now is fantastic to watch. You don't, 
there's no runaway. You don't yeah. know who's going to win. I mean, you watch like Supercross, you know, it's always going to be Jet Lawrence or Eli Tomac or those guys, whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's phenomenal to watch almost even like Moto America, right? It's going to be Gagne and Skoltsy's up there and, you know, and, and that's about it. Those guys kind of run away with it and everybody's racing for third and fourth. Yeah. MotoGP. I mean, it's just such a stacked field. Now you have probably at least a national champion, at every single rider, if not oh, a yeah. world champion at some level, or at least a race winner at other world champions. So, so it's uh, such a huge field and the technology is getting all better. And uh, even with the Moto2 class, you know, being all the same machines, uh, yeah. sometimes different chassis, they got the Bosco Scuro. I think there's the, the, the Calyx and maybe one other brand in there. Yeah. Um, geez. There's, yeah, there's only, there's one that just has like two riders. Right. And, and then like they kill it on this, like there's just two prototype frames that they're on, but everybody else is on the Calyx and stuff like that. And, and they're doing really low. That's 675 Triumph that they obviously that thing. I mean, those Moto2 bikes turn faster lap times at Coda than Moto America Superbikes do. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see one of those uh, be put in the the new 600 class with the with the different rules package. I don't know if that's too fast or they have to restrict it further. Yeah, I don't. Obviously, it's not a horsepower thing, right? Because again, a Moto America Superbike is going to have more horsepower than a Moto Two, you know, Triumph. So, and the lap times difference aren't aren't even close. And you have those two massive long straightaways there uphill. You know, you yeah. have that it's downhill but geez to be able to make that sort of time up is is phenomenal and it's not even close they're with they're seconds apart for sure and uh you know paul espargo this year he really uh he impressed me i was not looking for him to be uh on the podium uh and he was he was right there um yeah I that was impressive yeah that was uh that was a good debut for him and the bike and uh trying to get things shaked out for sure and I just hope they keep that momentum going. You know, I think the bike is good and they just got to tweak a little bit. I, it, they all kind of look the same now. They all have the same funnel on it, that same long raked out front nose. And there's a big gap between the front tire and the bodywork. And they all run these crazy aerodynamic packages and stuff. But the parity is like you're talking about, Eric. It's, it's fantastic, man. It's great for racing. You have no clue who's, who's going to win. Yeah. <laughs> it could be just about anybody. It depends who crashes out, has a good qualifying or uh, maybe just comes from 13th place to be on the podium. You just never know. Yeah, and it, it doesn't matter if they're on a factory bike or, you know, the, the privateer bike. Uh, the equipment, two-year-old equipment is doing just as good as the new stuff. So um, it doesn't matter if it's a KTM, Ducati, all nine, ten of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the couple Yamahas and Suzuki's and stuff. It's, it's fantastic for the fans, for sure, and great to watch. Yeah, and people were always talking about, oh, when Rossi retires, oh, what's going to happen? No one's going to watch racing anymore. I mean, uh, personally, um, you know, I don't, I don't have many riders apparel or gear. I don't, you know, I love watching all the different riders and seeing who does better. You know, I have favorites a little bit, but I don't really care who wins. Like, I was disappointed that yeah. Marquez wasn't able to race, but I was like, well, there's still going to be a good race. Like, I'm not going to not watch it because he's not in it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, I want to see a good a good show, and it and um, sometimes you get people from mid pack doing better, and it's nice to see them on the podium for the first time. Um, but it's also nice to see that champion, you know, get another win. That's that's cool too. But you just yeah, you can't have too much uh, money into it because you just never know what's going to happen. You don't, and you're right. It's good to see the new riders come up. Even uh, was it Bag or Martin? Martin winning Grassini. Jorge Martin was up there. Um, he was, 
I'm not sure uh, the guitar, the was it? reading off the top of my head, though. Yeah, but just to see the emotion from, uh, you know, the Grassini team winning at Qatar was was awesome because they haven't won since Elias beat out Rossi back in, what, 06? <laughs> yeah, it's early 2000s. Yeah, it's been forever since the Grassini bike gone and uh, and got a, a win. And so that was that was great to see. Yeah. Those guys um, dominate. Remember Mark, uh, uh, what's his name? Starts with an M. No, I'm just drawing a blank. But he was on the Grassini bike back in the day, and he comes out of Phillip Island and just lighting it up, <laughs> throwing up the deuces and stuff for the win. Like uh, Matt Melandon or Marco Melandri. Marco or- Melandri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was cool. Um, and uh, now he went over to World Superbike for a couple of years. I don't know if he's still racing this year. I don't think he is. Um, you know, with the TV coverage here in the U.S., I haven't paid too much attention to World Superbike. Uh, we have subscriptions for for uh, MotoGP and, and some of the other ones. But, um, yeah, World Superbike's kind of off the radar since no one really televises it here. Yeah, I, I just do the video passes myself because I don't have mm-hmm. TV. I try not to watch uh, the news too much. I was just at the diner the other day, and, you know, there happens to be a TV, so I'm kind of glancing at it. And uh, I think four <laughs> four stories in a row about the news were murder, murder, and death, <laughs> yeah. and, and then the next one was war. I'm like, oh, this is, this is that's better, you know. Uh, it's, like, terrible. I, I hate watching that stuff. I just do the, hey, mister, what's going on in the world? And you can get most of your information uh, within with talking to somebody. Yeah, it's it's miserable, right? What they say, like if it bleeds, it leads, or something like that, you know. And and misery loves company, so they they just feed off of that stuff. And man, it's it's crazy. Even uh, it's a little bit off topic, but kind of on those same lines. But even like um, there was a fight at Supercross, right? A couple of privateers went at it, and those guys got suspended for a round or two. But they're marketing in it and showing it like, oh, we got the. And I'm like, but then you penalize those guys. It's like they just brought all this extra eyes to the sport and then you, you penalize them for it. So, but yeah, it's one of those things again where it kind of it bleeds, it leads, you know, if there's some sort of turmoil or chaos or drama. Um, it's like, yeah, what are they, what are they trying to promote? Are, do they really want the drama? Do they want that spectacle for the TV ratings? But they're going to penalize them anyway. It's kind of like a double standard. So, it is. was it, was it in gear or like on track or was it like in the pit lane? No, it was on track. Uh, it was a couple privateers in one of the heat races. I guess they, they went off a jump and one over jumped and landed on the back of them. And as they're getting up, and it's funny, they're both wearing this brand new fly gear. Yeah. So like teammates, but they're on completely different bikes. One's on a Honda, one's on a Cowie. And, and uh, they just start going at it, man. And, the, and the, you know, the track workers come in and separate them and all that stuff. And But, uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, those violence and they, you know, they don't, want to show that but then they promote it and all the other stuff all week long so right it's like uh if it's consensual fighting between two professional athletes <laughs> i mean i don't have a problem with it it's especially if they have like a helmet and chest pads and stuff like that you're not going to do too much uh, yeah. damage you would think yeah but uh maybe yeah. they, sh- they should have like a a showdown moment uh two guys in the ring you get 30 seconds or, or what <laughs> yeah yeah, man, you're right. The news is the news is miserable. We only watch it. Typically, I'll just turn it on for the weather, and uh, that's it. Obviously, being down here in Nashville area, uh, this time of the year especially, the weather can get pretty gnarly. Um, when you have the warm air coming up from the Gulf and the cold air coming up from where you're at, and those things collide, dude. And oh man, when the sirens pop off, it's it's pretty hairy for sure. A lot of tornadoes or hurricanes, even. 
Yeah, tornadoes uh, here. We we'll get some remnants of hurricane stuff, but not really. Um, but the tornadoes, they uh, they hit here for sure. They always hit at night too. Oh yeah. So you're not expecting it. You're maybe asleep, and then the sirens are going off. Yeah, it's never like you know midday where everybody's at work and these big buildings or anything like that. It's always in the middle of the night, just the way they kind of flow together. And yeah, pretty uh, pretty scary stuff coming from California. That's uh, actually I've never seen a tornado out here. Of course, the sirens have popped off, but I've seen a tornado in California. Go figure. Yeah. Well, I was at the Daytona 200 a couple of weeks ago, and yeah. uh, we had some high wind, 50, 60 mile an hour warnings. There was, I don't know, a, a thunderstorm warning. We had to shut down for a couple couple hours uh, yeah. different, on different days because of, of lightning and thunder and, and uh, rain on the banking is too much for oh, competitors. Yeah. So um, we had to shut down for a while. And then there was a thunder no, what is it? A tornado warning um, uh, or a watch or one of the two. So, yeah, we had to all take shelter, all the marshals um, and like, get in your car or a building. And then like, I, I drove here with a friend. Like <laughs> I just yeah, got in the yeah. car and, uh, and hunkered down out of the rain for a couple hours, ate my lunch and relaxed. Yeah, my buddy um, Jeff Wheat and uh, Robert Langford were down there corner working too. I don't know if you know those guys, but they were down there with Midwest track time or yeah. track and, and doing that. I think they're corner work in turn five. Okay. But they were down there too. Jeff goes every year. Yeah. This is the first year for my buddy Robert to go down there and do it too. And, you know, they had a good time and. Um, yeah. It's cool. You know, just like the, the riders become your family, the corner workers become your family. Yeah. And I don't know everybody yet, but I'm starting to learn all the names and it's cool. After a while you can hear other people over the radio, like, Oh, I know who that is. You know, I know that person and it's like, oh, they become friends and uh, you start seeing them at different rounds or you're not even planning to be there and see them. But you happen to see this person you've seen like the last six rounds. Like, How did that happen? You know, you yeah. just, uh, plans converge. And um, actually, one of the guys uh, gave me a place to stay last time. So he drove me all around, picked me up from the airport and, you know, went to bike bike night over the main street. On main street. street. Yeah. And uh yeah, a lot of fun. You know, there's there's free concerts going on there, all kinds of stuff and uh, music and food and, and people selling all kinds of women's underwear and necklaces. Oh, and yeah. that, you know, um, it's just a party time, party town. Was that your first experience on Main Street? So I had been there actually uh, for October. I went for uh, the Race of Champions for CCS. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked at a event. So, I mean, it wasn't as big at, at all. Um, so this is the first time for Bike Week. Uh, that have been down there. Nice. Yeah. It's kind of more of a Harley fest, right? It's um, yeah, for sure. It's cruiser, but heck with, with, you know, the bagger class and the hooligan class and flat track, you know, it's all Harlan Indian. So it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, bike week's not so much about the 200 as much anymore. Yeah. I, I've gone several times. I think the first time I went to Daytona was in 2004. Oh, nice. Uh, and just went with my buddy and we went down there and that's when Supercross is on Saturday night. And the 200 was on um, Sunday. Yeah. Track was all still there. So you, you went to Supercross Saturday, watched the 200 on Sunday. And it blew my mind because you'd be standing on the banking, which is not nice if you're standing watching Supercross. It sounds like a good idea, but that thing is banked on that straightaway, man. Yeah. Like th over 30 degrees, 31 to 33, I think. Yeah. It, so you're sitting there and you're just on a lean the whole time and you're, you're standing, you, there's nowhere to put your beer down because it'll just topple over and go down the track. And it's, it's crazy, man. And then you sit there and think like there's thousands of people on this track right now. And in 10 hours from now, there's going to be bikes doing 190 miles an hour through here. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 
yeah. it's a pretty unique uh, place to be for sure. Um, uh, I was there in uh, in January also for the Arma event. They had uh, vintage bikes and vintage racing, and they also did the flat track out just outside of the racetrack. Yeah, turn, turn uh, two out there, turn one. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that was my first time ever doing a flat track event of a corner working it and actually seeing one in person. Watched it, you know, many times AFT on TV, but it's different up close inside the racetrack. People are going around you, and uh, people. I, I mean, it's a different type of crowd than the. Uh, than the professional crowd, you know, it's, it's Arma, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, older bikes, older folks, usually, um, you got some young kids in there, but, um, they're not always pushing as hard. So we actually had way less crashes for the flat track than I would have expected. Um, yeah, yeah. not so much for the road racing though. When they, when they crash in the road racing side, the older folks don't get up as easily. Um, yeah, yeah. so it was like, man, every time is like a, an ambulance. Jeez. Um, you wish it was a little bit cleaner sometimes, but that's how it goes. Yeah, that flat, uh, the flagger there, the starter, whatever, how he, how he waves it and does his thing and like bends over backwards as they go by him and stuff. He does like the matrix and stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know what's, what kind of training you had to take to get to learn how to do that, but uh, it hasn't been an option for me yet. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that stuff's pretty cool. But you're right, man. That's old guys. We don't, we don't get up good. I actually threw up my back. I don't even know how, but yeah, it's, uh, man, we don't recover quick for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, the ground hurts, but, uh, you know, I just talked to somebody the other day who um, I said, you know, oh, I was at the track and somebody crashes. Oh, was it a fatality? That was their first oh my go to response question. Like, oh, uh, did they, how's their skin? And I looked at him for a second. I said, I've crashed 15 times or so on the racetrack and I've never had a single cut or abrasion on my skin. You yeah. know, uh, you don't, that's not how it works. I mean, we have full gauntlet sized gloves, full you know, 12 inch uh, tall boots. Uh, with yeah. torsion control for your ankle and all that. And um, I wear a chest protector, a back protector, and yeah. a hip and shorts protection for your cosmetics and all that. And on top of a full leather suit. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have the full airbags now. I don't have an airbag yet, um, but I'm looking to get a, get a new suit. I sell Revit. Um, yeah, I heard, I heard you say that. Yeah, because I, I actually have that same uh, Alpine Star suit behind you. So that's actually what I run, except it's red and black. It's not oh, the Adam. You got the Adam. The Adam, man, I love it. It's because I'm a little bit bigger guy. I mean, I'm I'm six four, almost six four. And uh, when I'm not training, I'm close to 260 pounds. You know, before I strap a cow on me. <laughs> but it's it's good to have that kind of stretchy material it has in the chest and gives me a little more flexibility and, and movement. But yeah, I like that Adam suit. It's Heck, I've had it probably for six or seven years and yeah, fantastic. But yeah, yeah it's, it's a good, uh, good suit. Nothing wrong with it. It's got the good knees, you know, some of the lower, uh, suits that I've had. Um, I think it was SP one was my very first suit, but that's an entry yeah. level, like $1,000 price point. Might've got it on clearance for 800 or something, you know, and, yeah. um, the knees don't feel as good. They feel a little bit tighter, but the Adam is definitely a good suit. Um, I might actually sell the Adam to get a, get a revit suit uh you like I should wear my own brand yeah that, yeah when you said that too when you're i forget which podcast i was watching um man speaking of podcast that one with johnny rock page man that, that. <laughs> so what do you think about that one that was an interesting oh my gosh man that guy was sitting in his leathers i've obviously followed john <laughs> for many many years and you know when he was back riding geez 15 years ago you know but to see like where his mind is out now and 
president and his his next ex-wife is gonna have to wear the crown or whatever he was saying man it was it was so entertaining to watch you know just people's thought process and perception of the world and and where they're at you know it's 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 uh it's entertaining for sure you know i i couldn't just stop him i had to let him keep going <laughs> yeah it was uh it was good man but yeah that that adam suit it's good the only thing obviously it's a little bit older technology and a lot of it's the same but the elbow sliders, right? Oh, yeah. They don't have elbow sliders. Placeable on that thing. So literally, I'll take like, it's so ghetto, but I'll take old like um, uh, toe sliders and just cut them in half and just super glue it on there. So I'm not going through my suit anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, that's a, a fairly new thing in the industry. Maybe last five or 10 years, they started putting uh, like knee pucks, but smaller knee pucks yeah. of sorts on your elbows. Um usually like a hard plastic or titanium material. Yeah. So the idea behind that, right. It's, it's obviously for the, the guys that want to elbow drag and stuff like that, but it's, it's really more safety that's built into it because it's an impact zone and you know, it's not the speed that kills it's that instant stop. Right. So yeah. that is to kind of slide on that plastic and hopefully not tumble and roll and, and barrel and stuff like that. It's just a slide almost like how a, a skateboarder or BMX or whatever has those plastic, knee pads now so when they go down the banking they just land on their knee pads you know on a half pipe or something and they just slide on their knee pads you know and it's yeah. kind of the same principle is just to help you slide and, and dissipate speed instead of just hooking up and rolling you know and it's right. they're all in the impact zone so obviously your knees and stuff like that and then um elbows and then the shoulders you know everywhere where you typically hit and roll the idea is to slide on it but yeah, yeah I, was, I think of it. I think of it like uh, those glass breakers. I carry a knife that has one of those carbide tips. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so the idea is, if you put all your force into a really tiny point, you can break anything with a, a low amount of force. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same thing, opposite way. If you dissipate all that all that force between a wide area, you probably won't break it. So if you try to punch a glass, it's probably not going to happen. But if you hit it with yeah. a tip, um, same thing with breaking bones. Yeah, hundred percent for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. right out there. Really think about it. Um, so no, no more breaking bones. Have you, uh, have you been injured from uh, from riding at all? Yeah, um, never on the track, like you said. Like I've never gone through a set of leathers, and you know, after a crash or a low spill, I've I've high sided a couple times on the track. I've low sided before, of course. Um, and you just kind of slide around, you get back up. And for me, I'm always just looking for my bike to a hopefully not land on me. And then you know, I sit there and just dolphin itself in the middle of the grass so I can get back on it and go. Yeah. But yeah, on the street, uh, I was street riding and just left my house and a, and a car ran a stop sign right in front of me. Cold tires, did everything I did to try to avoid it. And it got to the point where that car wasn't going to move. And I tucked the front uh, to avoid it. And of course, the first thing I did was stiff arm. Oh. Uh, broke a couple little things there. And that still affects me today. Uh, you know, it kind of creates some arthritis and additional arm pump and stuff. And, um it sucks because it's never going to, it's just going to get worse. Right. As I get older, that, that aching and stuff like that's going to continue to be there. So the, the downside for me is that it's my throttle hand, right? Everything's done on this hand. So yeah. throttle breaking. So when this thing starts aching, it just pumps everything up. Hell, if it was my left hand, it'd be no big deal, but mentally I always have to tell myself, okay, don't do anything and put K tape on it and CBD oil something, you know, just to get through it. Yeah. But Make sure you do all the exercises and uh, stretching and all that stuff. 
Yeah. Um, especially now, you know, getting ready for the, for the Moto America season stock 1000, I've been doing a ton, a ton of Peloton. My wife bought me one last Christmas. Okay. Uh, I've, the, the cycling machine. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and we have the tread coming should be here, I think next week and just oh, nice. because any type of workout that you can think of is on there from stretching to yoga, to meditation, to uh, boot camps, obviously spin and tread indoor, outdoor, um, it's all on there. Of course, it's pricey. Uh, and no matter what you do, whatever you put into it, that's what you're going to get out, right? I mean, how many people get gym memberships and pay X amount of dollars for a membership, whether it's yearly or monthly, and never even go? Yeah, I probably went once in the last month. <laughs> However, yeah. I do a lot of other stuff. So that's my excuse. Yeah, you, you do a lot of uh, running stuff now? Yeah, so um, today I just did a fitness class. I do Orange Theory Fitness, if you're familiar oh, yeah. with that. Um, yep. so today was just a warm up on the rower and then we ran uh, about two miles. Um, and then there, we did a section of weights for, for an, about a half hour. So, yeah, um, I'm familiar yeah. with it. My, uh, my wife does more series and so does my sister-in-law and, uh, they do it and they get up on the leaderboard. What is it? Is it, what's it called? Swap points or something like that? Uh, splat points. Splat points. Yeah. 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 They do that. And I'm like, that's kind of similar to the Peloton stuff. Cause there's a leaderboard out there. Yeah. You course it's it's kind of ranking what your output is and heart rate and all that stuff it's it's very similar to that but yeah yeah they do it and they love it man of course they hit the rowers and the tread and you know the, the all the floor exercises and weights it's awesome yeah it's nice that um someone's kind of telling you what to do for your workout today you don't really have to think yeah. about what, what i'm gonna work on um so today there was uh they have uh something called base pace push pace and all out pace so we okay. were, I was on the treadmill. I'm like, I'm not really pushing all out today. So I just did like my, my half-ass push. You know, I was like six yeah. eight miles an hour instead of 10 to 12 today. Um, just kind of taking it easy. And um, that was fine, you know, but they do every uh, 60 seconds all out and then rest for like a minute to a minute and a half. And then and back to, they did that maybe 10 times. Um, yeah. So you get to run and walk and run and walk. So it's nice that if you don't really want to uh, run two miles uh, all at once, you can, you know, do something a little different and um, kind of mixes it up. And they say, if you confuse your muscles, uh, keep it inter yeah, interesting, yeah. then uh, not only your mind doesn't get tired, but your muscles don't either. And they, and you can keep uh, getting stronger. So they go off of distance for that or is it timed? It's just time. So however fast yeah, yeah, yeah. you go, we're going to just do 60 seconds and then take it back to your walking pace. You can do anything for a minute, right? Yeah, it's not that hard. I mean, it goes up to 12 miles an hour, and uh, yeah. I can run at 12 miles an hour for a little while. Uh, I don't know about a full mile yet, but um, yeah, maybe if I, if I try. I mean, I don't really try to sprint a mile often. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. But cardio is, is key, especially for what we're doing in road racing and, and just riding motorcycles, just life in general, right? Movement's life, but uh cardio just being on that peloton the last year is it blows my mind because i wasn't doing much running because i because i'm get old and, and bad knees and heavy and just lazy prior more than anything but uh yeah jumping on that peloton and then actually going outside and going for a run and stuff like that i was like man what i used to gas out probably just under a mile and i'd keep pushing but now i just go through and i look at my heart rate and i'm like i'm not even tired <laughs> that's just training on a bike versus, you know, actually get out and run. And then when you incorporate the two, it, it's massive. So, um, yeah, that's cardio is key for everything for sure. For sure. And I would say for, for, um, 
motorcycle road racing, you don't really need to be a brute strength bodybuilder type. Uh, what you need is tons of cardio. So uh, for years, I've been doing at least a thousand miles of cycling and running combined um, yeah. um, annually. So sometimes up to 1500 miles, not much more than that, but um, uh, yeah, I'd highly recommend doing that for, for your cardio fitness because uh, you see females out there competing pretty well against men. Um, you do need some strength and endurance, but most of yeah. it is like your, your cardio conditioning, being able to do the same thing for a half hour, maybe 45 minutes, yeah. unless you're endurance racing, maybe even longer, but up to 45 minutes at peak performance at a hundred degrees, um, in full leathers, you know, um, yeah. and keeping it at the limits of physics for, for that period of time without, without making a mistake is, is, uh, the biggest thing. Yeah, it's kind of like that, uh, the muscle memory and, and uh, speed perception and kind of getting your brain working right with that. And yeah, the cardio is key for sure, man. Maxing out your heart rate and having that kind of sustained for a while. And it's cool now, like when you watch MotoGP, they show Fabio, they show some of the riders heart rate and stuff. And, and I mean, those guys are just as nervous as the rest of the rest of us, you know, they're up there at 160, 164 and, and chilling out. So for me, what I try to do, especially like on a uh, half hour class or something like that. I'll try to max out the entire time because I figure for like stock 1000 um, it's like at road Atlanta, it's only like a 13 lap race. Right. So that's going to be about 19, 20 minutes. So I try to at least double what the race is so that when you're, you know, it's not going to be physically that much harder, if, you know, to cut that in half. If I'm already, if I can sustain a maxed heart rate of 160, 165, of course my max is like 194 or something, but you know, keep it right there where you're, you're not gassing yourself out, but you're up there and kind of paying attention to everything. But yeah, that's the goal is kind of just double whatever the race distance is. Yeah. Able to have that. So when you're ready to go, you're ready to go. Yeah. You should uh, have the mentality suffer in training. So the race is easy. That's right. Yeah. You, you don't want to be testing your limits in the race. You want to be testing them in practice. Yeah. You see that, right. You see a lot of guys just incorporate, just, they just do a, a shit ton of track days and that's it. They don't do anything else, man. They go there and they party and have a good time and try to show up and race. And for me, I'm all about that life too. Uh, racing for me is 100% fun. Uh, but with the amount of time and, and money and dedication you got to put into it to reach the professional level or the national level, even if it's weird national event and you have these Moto America boys coming down there, like the Joe Giannatos and the Andrew Lees and the, and the Mesas and stuff, those boys are on the grid with you. You know what I mean? And uh, you got to be ready to go with them and you, and you just can't be partying the entire time. Yeah, for sure. I remember at uh, Road Atlanta Cycle Jam many years ago, James Rispoli was on the grid with me. I'm like, oh boy, we got some heavy hitters. You know, he's coming over from uh, from the UK at the time, racing in British Superbike. I'm like, damn, I'm not going to beat him, but hopefully he'll be in sight by the end of the race. Or hopefully he hasn't lapped me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's flying. I think he's on a bagger this year, isn't he? Bagger and a yeah, the, the big 43 at uh, Daytona on the bagger, and uh, I'm sure he's doing some flat track. Yeah, yeah, he flies, man. There's uh, a lot of talent in that class. That bagger class, man, that thing, that trips me out. Those bikes were just as fast as the 600s, and uh, science tells us they shouldn't be that fast. <laughs> well, they just have such a massive engine, uh, but they do weigh about 620 pounds. Yeah, that's the minimum, right? So they're 620 pounds. They, they might as well be MotoGP prototype Harleys, but there's nothing stock on them. And you can't convince me that the Indians aren't running those FXRs. You know what I mean? Those things are, 
and they just slapped some bags in a, in a front fairing on that thing. Well, but. they won uh, at least one of the races. Um, Indian won, and Harley was 2-3. So, I mean, Indian's on top for at least one of the ra- I'm not sure the standings of the second race. Yes, uh, second race, uh, Jeremy McWilliams uh, won it, and then it was an Indian uh, sweep. Oh, they locked it out. They locked it out. So, uh, Kyle had some issues. He had a mechanical, and then uh, Tyler, I think, finished fourth. Uh, but yeah, it was, they locked it out. It was Jeremy, Bobby Fong and, um, Tyler O'Hare. And I think the first one, uh, Travis beat out his brother, the championship, uh, leader from last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm, I'm glad for the Wyman's that he's not funding his own deal. Cause I know that's obviously taxing. Even, even as a privateer, man, you go and you set all your own stuff up and it's hard to focus even club racing, right? It's, it's so mentally and physically exhausting and stressful to make sure you have all your stuff with you and stuff like that. So it has to be such a relief to kind of get um, some of that support and not worry about that. And yeah. Which brings another topic up kind of is uh, my boy, Aaron Yates, obviously a, a, a factory stable mate rider with me. And um, he's going to be on the BMW and Superbike, which is fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's great, man. I couldn't be more stoked for him and his family and not having to lug that stuff around and, and put that privateer effort in anymore. And um, sad to see him not be on the Honda, but to be on the BMW. But then he announces he's going to do double duty and he's going to race the CBR in stock 1000 and then race the BMW and Superbike. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> completely different machines. You know what I mean? And uh, to be able to transition back and forth, I don't even know how they would I mean, geometry, chassis, feel, everything's completely different on the power output, you know, that I think yeah. it has a little bit more, I don't know, super bike st- uh, form, but stock 1000, the Honda is pretty good. But um, yeah, that transition, the torque curve where it's all delivered and stuff. I'm like, man, that's, that's not like going from a bagger to a super bike, you know, it's, it's, it's right. super bike to a super bike. It'll be a little different, but I, I got to say that that'd probably help him out because any extra track time you have learning uh, around going around the racetrack uh, for more sessions, you have more experience in your competitors based on the conditions or based on you know, um, just getting more laps there. So I, I'd say it's got to be helpful. It's got to be a little bit different going from bike to bike, but um, maybe he'll, he'll learn something from one machine to the other. Yeah, he's, well, you know, that's actually a good point. I, I, I was just kind of thinking about that is that back in the day, uh, all the factory guys used to um, do double headers, right? So yeah. they raced the 600s and then raced the super bikes. So you'd see Miguel and Jamie Hacking and the Haydens. And I mean, you name it, everybody besides Matt Maladin rode yeah. 600s and, you know, the, the super bikes as well. So, yeah, that, I guess it, it won't be, well, it's going to be a transition, but it's, it has, it's been done before, I guess. So, yeah. It can be done. Um, and so tell me a little bit about uh, your background more and your writing experience in uh, place in the industry. Yeah. So um, I started writing back in uh, 1998. Uh, I'll just give you a, a high level. Sure. So I rode in 98. So I used to work at this auto dealership as a Toyota dealership. And I used to um, deliver parts. I'm originally from Northern California. And uh, I would deliver parts in the Reno Tahoe loop. So I basically worked four tens because I lived in Sacramento, California and would drive the loop around. Well, back in 98, we got this uh, 97 CBR 600 F3 on trade and I had to have it, man. I'm like, that thing's the coolest thing ever. And it was just sitting back in my shop and I ended up buying it. Of course, I crashed it the first week I have it because I never rode a motorcycle in my life. Yeah. And then uh, just kind of got hooked into riding. It was just nonstop riding. 
And um, then because I worked for Tans, I'd go hang out at my local dealership. And at the time, the general manager, uh, my buddy Dana Tutt, he's like, hey, man, you seem like a cool kid. You're always in here hanging out. I'm looking for a part-time sales guy. Uh, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know, man. What does it pay? He's like, it's 18% commission uh, and that's it. And I'm like, wait, commission? Like no salary, no hourly, nothing. No guarantees. He's like, no guarantees, man. It's 18%. He's like, like I'll pay for your sales license. Just try it. If you don't like it, no big deal. But I'll pay for your sales license in California to get it. And we'll see what happens. So I was like, I don't know, man. I'm good with my $8 an hour job. And long story short, he, uh, he called me or he convinced me to do it. And I did it. And my very first day there is towards the end of the day. And of course, you're just still hanging out in a motorcycle dealership. It might as well be, you know, a giraffe on the side of the building. It's a toy store to us. Right. You know, and um, I sold an XR70 back then. And now they're CRFs, but it was an XR70 and I made like 60 bucks. And I'm like, I got to drive all day and work all day to make 60 bucks. Like, this is fantastic. I didn't do anything. <laughs> so, yeah. And then from there, um, you know, just became you know, a full-time sales guy and just battlefield promoted my way through uh, manager positions and stuff like that. Wore every single hat in the dealership from finance guy to sales manager, general manager, every manager. And then in 07, 08, uh, I applied for American Honda. And so currently I work for American Honda as a district uh, sales manager. So I'm in charge of 32 uh, Honda motorcycle dealerships in Tennessee, Northern Alabama, a little bit North Carolina, Virginia, and Kentucky. Nice. Got yeah. a pretty good good uh, region there of uh, dealerships, it sounds like. Yeah, some of the largest in the country to some of the smallest mom and pops. Um, ultimately, they're all mom and pops. Uh, but yeah, it's, for me, being a motorcycle guy and a Honda guy in particular, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic job and career and uh, provides me a lot of uh, cool opportunities for sure that I don't think I can experience anywhere else. So it's definitely a blessing for sure for the, to be with Big Red, if you will. So you, you uh, ride red? Yeah, all the time, man. Yeah. Even. Oh, there you go. All right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, everything is, I mean, I have so much Honda stuff. It's crazy. But again, I'd be a Honda guy if I didn't work for the company. You know, I've been with the company 14 years now. Okay. So quite a while. Yeah. So it's all Honda all the time. And, and that's kind of some of the stuff too, even when I used to race um, an AFM. So I started racing. So the way it kind of worked in Northern California um, is that, and I'm sure it happens just about everywhere, but uh, you start going to these local meetup spots, like on a Friday and Saturday night. Right. And you end up being the slowest person there because you've never ridden before and you're timid and you're just kind of learning. You don't know the roads and the twisties and the canyons and all that stuff. And then eventually you get to the spot and, and everybody's already done drinking their Red Bull and stuff. And you're just pulling up, man. You're like, oh man, I need, I need a drink too. And they're like, no, we're going to the next one. And then eventually you kind of start making your way up and then you end up being the leader of that pack, right? And then that's almost too fast for the street. So then you go and you try your hands in road racing. And for me, it was AFM then. It still is AFM, but, um, and uh, you get your butt kicked there. You know, yep. you <laughs> You're at the bottom of the pack again. You're at the bottom of the pack again and you get your butt kicked there and you kind of go with some fast guys and get better. And and then you kind of make your way up. And if you're lucky enough, get to the national level. But um, yeah, even back then, man, I raced a, um, I can't even tell you how many Hondas. I've had a couple Suzuki's throughout my riding career, I guess, Uh, but mainly all Hondas. But back then I used to literally race my 954 bone stock street bike. And I would just switch. And back then you could swap the plastics over really easy. Nothing like the whole headlight assembly just came off and the fairings were like two pieces and one little butt loose 
15 minutes. <laughs> I would go riding with the Carl's Jr. crew back in the day on Saturday night and go racing on Sunday. Once I just go riding on Saturday and swap out my plastics overnight and go racing, put a brand new set of tires on for the race and then ride those tires on. And I always ran DOTs, um, DOT racers. And I think back then I was running like Michelins or something like that, some pilot powers or something. And uh, so I'd run those through the whole next month, wait for the next race, go riding. And then I was always a firm believer, whoever rode most in the winter was fastest in the spring type deal. But yeah, because you don't have rust, you're just already um, used to riding. You already get that feel and everything. Yeah. And uh, that's what we do. So we just go rip around. So it was always just kind of fun with it. Um, basically taking a bone stock street bike and throwing some plastics on it. And I don't even think I had brake lines back then. I, I think it was like the epitome. It just, oh, so back then I actually got black flagged one time because I'd race uh, open superbike and then open production. And the really only obvious difference was that you couldn't have a aftermarket exhaust. You had to run a stock exhaust. Hmm. So the 954s back then, they were legitimately bolt-on exhaust. It was just three bolts. And you could pop them on, pop them off. For the dealership I worked at, uh, CHM, they made their own exhaust. And it was a fantastic increase in horsepower. And it was just a bolt-on. Yeah. Well, I, I was like in race seven and then in race nine. And I totally forgot to swap. <laughs> the exhaust but that's the only difference between my super bike and <laughs> bike was just a bolt-on you know exhaust and yeah, end up getting black flagged for that one someone protested I'm like, yeah. uh, they're just a hater yeah but uh yeah just race the stalker and even now that's pretty much what i did for we are last year an expert and um and uh in previous even some uh, classes up in ohio that i used to do or some series um just stock street bikes man uh my suspension has even changed. I mean, it's I'm amazing. You know, what, what got me so in, interested in uh, riding, first of all, was, you know, being free, being on your bicycle and just being yeah. able to explore and travel different places. And then when I'm old enough, I can gotta, uh, get to put an engine in my bicycle. And now we got a motorcycle. You know, you can just go faster and farther. Uh, it's the same concept. So, um, and then when you can do it on a racetrack, it's like, this is amazing. Uh, you can yeah. just do exactly whatever you want with your bike and uh, ride it however you, hopefully, f as fast as you want to go, um, keeping it on the racetrack. And uh, it's just, there's such a rabbit hole of information you can go down and uh, yeah. there's always another tenth to find. Like, you're never done with it. Um, it's just as much as you want to do it. So um, it's just an endless uh, progression of trying to get better. Yeah, it is for sure. Uh, for me at this point, it's just getting my physical self better, right? Because uh, power to weight is everything, especially at a track like Road Atlanta, um, where again, last year when I was doing all the weird stuff, uh, I mean, I was 255 pounds, 260 pounds, maybe before I strapped a cow on me. Yeah. And, and uh, down that back straightaway, man, I would, I would lose a second or two just on the back straightaway. They would just go right by me and then make it back up and stuff. But it, there was no fight whatsoever. Um, so now with the Peloton train and stuff, I'm, I'm down to the two thirties and hopefully by Moto America, well, one, one month from this weekend, um, be in the two twenties, hopefully two fifteen. I don't know. Um, but with that being said, it's more physically for me, even beyond, uh, motorcycle racing, of course, there's gonna be a massive benefit from that, but it's always better to be healthy anyways. Sure. Uh, but I always try to just have fun with it. Uh, motorcycling for me is, is like therapy, right? It's cheap therapy. Yeah. You know, have a horrible day at work. You could 
be in a shitty mood or whatever, but by the time you put your helmet on, you're, you got a smile on your face. No one rides angry. You'll never see a motorcycle outside the therapy office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't happen because it's, it's its own therapy, but um, even track riding stuff, I tried to make sure I have fun with it and, and go out there and, and do the best I can do, but also, you know, go out there and do some wheelies and have fun. And I'm not the guy that's going to sit there and, and measure out my fuel you know, and, and, and even like at track days, you know, you see guys doing that, looking for that next 10th and dumping all this money and aim solos and measuring, you know, I got to have this little component or I can't even touch my bike if it doesn't have all this grave stuff on it or whatever, you know, yeah. for me that just takes so much fun out of it. Uh, because ultimately that one tenth or two at the end of the day, that's just for you. Like no one's going to care that you ran one tenth, sec- uh, you know, quicker. Uh, right how much more effort and stress and mental uh, anguish you put yourself in to get that 10th. What if you don't achieve that 10th and you did all that work, then you're really pissed off. (laughs) So it's better to kind of work on yourself and then work, you know, um, with what you got and make those improvements, I think. And I I think for me, it's more enjoyable doing it that way. And hence why I kind of race a a stock stock street bike, you know, effectively I race a, I race a street bike. (laughs) I don't have a race bike. I have a street bike that I race. And that's, that's cool. You know, people have all different levels of uh, involvement and uh, yeah. maybe, um, you know, places they want to go if they want to get to the next level or uh, if they want to just be a track day rider and that's fine. Or maybe a mostly street rider that sometimes goes to the racetrack. That's cool too. You know, there's all yeah. different yeah. levels of uh, what, what people want. Yeah, for sure. There's um, everybody's perception of it's a little bit different, right? Like we both agree that this hat's black and red but I don't know what black and red looks like to you. Right. <laughs> so perception is uh, everybody's reality and perception is a little bit different. Yeah. For me, it's always just about having fun uh, first and foremost, because um, this is obviously a dangerous sport and um, man, I don't want to be miserable if, if something does go wrong, like all oh, this sucked and then really got hurt or whatever, you know, it's just, it's just not worth it at that point. So it's yeah. you know, to always have fun and remember what we do. And that's why we watch races and stuff too, because we're entertained by it. Right. So Yeah. Muslim. We just want to be, we just want to be doing it and, uh, and showing them we can do it too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause I mean, I would, I've, I've gone to some Freddie Spencer schools and stuff like that back in the day. And I've been on and off road racing for, uh, geez, I guess 20 years now, but, um, nothing ever consistent. You know, the reason why I even got back into road racing here, we we're at Barber with all my buddies and, and shout out to all my buddies. Uh, we have this uh, a group of friends that's called Team Sloppy Sprockets. <laughs> uh, it's a little sloth and stuff, and they, they do a bunch of track days and whatever, and got hooked up with those guys. And, um, and then some of those guys were crashing before they got to turn two. Then, <laughs> like on so, the outlap? Huh? On the outlap? Uh, sometimes on the outlap, just sometimes on cold tires. You know, it could have been a couple laps into it. But there's like, three or, or like two or three guys that crashed before turn two. Yeah. And they came up with this sub team called T3OB, which is ter- turn three or bust. <laughs> uh, so now that we have a logo for that one and incorporate that. So we have team sloppy sprocket is the parent team, if you will. And then T3OB is the racing division of team sloppy sprocket. So we just have this kind of fun group of guys that put this little team together. It's just, again, it's just all for fun, but we have our own logos and things like that and, and just have a blast with it. But yeah, quick shout out to those guys because they're obviously they're the ones that help me out. I mean, you can't race some of this stuff without their support. Um, even with Weira, right? You just can't go up there and just show up and pull your own tire warmer. You can, I've seen it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's how I used to, when I first started racing, that's exactly what I did. I, I drove to the track myself in a Pontiac Sunfire two-door sedan, oh, and then I towed with an open trailer I built from Harbor Freight, and, yeah. uh, you know, just open everything, um, no enclosure, and just stuff everything in the back, and at one time, I remember how I had to use tie-downs to put uh, the tie tires to the roof because there was no more room on the trailer. <laughs> yeah. You, you know who did that? Who, I don't know if he's still going to do it because he's gotten some support this year, but uh, Damien uh, Jigalov? Oh, yeah, Damien. Yeah, Damien. Yeah, um, my old Honda stable mate. Of course, he's riding uh, Yamaha R6 this year, but um, him and his dad would do the same thing. They would travel from Chicago like in a Jetta. <laughs> just have an open trailer back there with the CBR and gas tanks and stuff. And they'd be crossing the country, you know, through rain and storms and stuff. And then eventually, you know, why would we get in the gas tank? Then he would have to pull out of races and stuff because, you know, there's, there's water in the fuel. Yeah. That, that exact situation happened to me going from Michigan to Alabama, going to Barber. Um, I think it was in uh, like February and uh, early February uh, testing day, you know, I went down there and, not only did I have water in my gas tank, but also I had a broken transmission, like the third session in. I was like, oh, no, I just went to Alabama for uh, a broken transmission and water in my gas tank. You know, it's oh, not wow. ideal with those water conditions. Even if you leave with a brand new clean bike on, uh, on Thursday, you get to the track on Friday and it's dirty again. You got to clean everything. It's, it's hammered, man. I, I even hate riding in the rain. I have no problems riding in the rain, but all the gunk and like road debris and just the film, man, it, it never comes off. And then the bottom of your bike looks like it's been underneath the ocean. <laughs> Pretty much. But it's, you know, uh, an enclosed trailer is what? A couple thousand dollars? Oh, they're expensive now. Yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to my buddies have them. Uh, the team Sloppy Sprock and T3OB boys have them and uh, allow me to tag along and um my buddy robert hooked us up with a, a trc which i've been just strapping it down with canyon dancers for years right it's tried and true but of course it messes up the grips and stuff and uh but yeah they hooked me up with that so thankful for that one too so but yeah man it's uh it's crazy i was uh, looking at uh, one of my next purchases i would love to get a uh an enclosed trailer not nothing crazy maybe you could fit a couple bikes in there say uh maybe six by nine um with a v nose one of those ramp doors and yeah. um that's about all you need that is man that's really all you need uh because something you could maybe sleep in if it had like an ac or something on it too would help out we ended up getting an rv um last year a year and a half ago i guess uh just spontaneous purchase and it kind of all stemmed from a, a storm we had we were camping with our family out in the lake and uh, this massive storm came through and it, trees fell over and everything in the camp blew away. And the girls, my daughters were in a tent and they're just screaming <laughs> the mosquito, the mosquito. And like, help us. And it's all collapsed on them. And the whole time they're like, daddy, I never want to camp again. I want an RV. Yeah. So get an RV and, and that helps out. But um, I saw that you had uh, Brendan Kettleson on here. Yeah, I just had him on. Um, and uh yeah, he's a great guy to talk to. I think he's number 44 in the Kawasaki. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's been a, a good friend of mine for me. I, well, I've known his dad before Brendan was even around. So yeah. being from Northern California, um, you know, watch that, that watch the kid grow up and be successful, and, and he's killing it. And all those guys from Northern California, uh, Bobby Fong and Cam Bobier, and um, grew up racing against some of those guys, especially in Supermoto. We'd go to the Stockton Fairgrounds with Cam and Fong and, uh, Doug Chandler and Tommy Hayden, those guys would show up there every now and then too. But uh, I have a funny story about Cameron Bowie. <laughs> yeah. 
Here, um, I, I think, gosh, this was 2004, 2005 or something like that. And we were racing at Arco Arena where the Sacramento Kings play, the NBA team play. And it was a, a hybrid deal to where the supermoto track went outside the parking lot and then it dropped into the stadium and it was half polished concrete floor that they poured like soda on it to make it have some sort of grip. And then half of like a little mini like arena cross track for the supermoto part of it. Well, Cam was on an RMZ, I'm sorry, on an RM85 and the, the kid's ripping. I think he was probably only like 12 or 13 years old. And I'm probably then I'm like 24 years old. And I'm on RMZ 250 and he gets by me in the end section on the, on the floor section inside the arena. And I'm like, Oh, screw that. I'm not going to let this little 12, 13 year old kid beat me. And I legit punted him into the hay bales. Oh no. <laughs> arena. <laughs> and I'm like, I just didn't punt him, but I just ran him wide. So he had nowhere to go and actually clipped the hay bales and wadded himself up. But yeah, that's my, my funny story about racing against Cambobier back in the day. Took out a little kid. But, yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes you got to show him who's boss. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, but yeah, growing up, it's great to see the success with all those guys. I mean, cause you've literally watched them from kids and they're all local and they, you've seen them hang out and from club level to international level and everything in between, man, it's, it's pretty cool to see. It's uh, it's definitely something that's, it's possible for people to achieve, but it's just a very, very small percentage of people who can make it happen. It's like, uh, it's like a pop star. It's like you can be a great singer, but not have the the backing. You could have, yeah. you know, uh, same thing with a racer. But there's so many right components you got to get right, whether it's the family aspect to get you to that level in the first place, yeah, um, yeah. or the passion of the rider to push through injuries. Um, it's like we see we talked about Marquez a little bit. Um, you you see him having these massive uh, high sides, yeah, and yeah. it's like how how many times. Can you have a massive high side like that and come back from it? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but what do you, it's almost like what's his mental thought process now? I mean, obviously he wants to win championships and he still has that challenge and spirit within him. Um, but at what point does he have to prove himself anymore? He's a seven time world champion. Yeah. yeah. It's always like, you just want to keep, keep proving it. You want to stay on top at that point. You, um, but he's, it seems like he's having to take, maybe with the Honda, the package that's under him, maybe he's having to take too big a risks to stay on top now. It could be. Obviously, it's a bike. Um, I think they might have changed some stuff for Indonesia so he can have more of that slide because, again, he's a kind of a dirt tracker. Um, because they, they've improved the rear grip to the point to where on the front does not fill, right? Something has to give. There's always a compromise. So before it was always front head heavy, but there was no, but then the rear had no traction. And now it's kind of flip-flopped, and I think, they might have done something to, to try to compromise for that. And it obviously didn't pay out, but I mean, Mark's a legend and he doesn't have to prove himself anymore in my opinion. Um, but who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm a massive fan of him and Repsol Honda and everything else, you know, but. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, I think this weekend was a little bit just his style. I think he makes up a ton of time in trail breaking and, yep. and corner entry when you're carrying so much speed in the corner and it's just the Indonesian track was such a low grip track that it's going to catch out those people who are pushing in those zones more often than not. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, something earlier about, I think when we first started about having like a class that uh, was unlimited, right? Kind of run what you brung. You know, I know Dunlop spends a ton of money to sponsor Moto America and, and front that having that spec tire, but I mean, look at Daytona. 
you know, how, how awesome was that to see the different tire manufacturers battling and, and the end, the end result, the consumer is going to win, right? Because we're going to have a product where they're having to compete against each other. And because I mean, reality is Dunlop can bring a fantastic tire or they can bring a horrible tire. It doesn't matter. We got to run it. You know? Yeah. Where- and so I kind of like the idea or of the having the spec tire that everybody is the same. There's not as much differences. Um, it, it makes it less confusing sometimes. However, um, I think maybe the reason why they, they stopped doing that was, was a bad event where they had tire manufacturers competing too much and they took a chance on a tire and it ended up being a disaster. Maybe it was uh, disintegrating or it was dangerous in some way. But yeah, you look at the Daytona results, I think the, the podium was locked out by Pirelli and yeah. Michelin or Dunlop, I'm sorry, was just off of the podium in fourth with Josh Hayes. Um, so, I mean, I mean, he was just off by a tenth of a second, but uh, that's all, that's crazy, all yeah, yeah. Daytona is just hundredths. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, that 200 was entertaining to watch. Posh, man, master class. He just sat back, and it's almost like when you're just drafting even like in a Peloton, like a road bike, right? And you have to go up there and take your turn up in the front. But, dude, if you just want to hang back in there and just get drafted the whole time, you're going to have so much more energy. And it's almost like what he did. He just sat back and was like, I don't need to show my cards right here and and uh, just put it to him at the end. That speed that he was carrying was unbelievable because he was just rolling out the last, like, eight laps. You know, he's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to put it where I need it at the end, you know? It was, yeah, it was- he definitely uh, – I mean, two times in a row, that's not an accident. No, it's not. It's not, and the competition was there, right? You basically had factory teams with the with the attack Yamahas and uh, the Ducati effort. I mean, heck, you had the president of Ducati there supporting Heron. Uh, and you have Sheridan Marias, um, multiple time endurance world champion rider, and uh, he's a perennial endurance guy. So anytime you're ahead of that guy, you know, in an endurance race, um, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good to see that level of competition. I wish they'd bring the big bikes back there, even if it's a short little sprint race, because um, everything else is a sprint race, right? I mean, I don't know how many bagger races or hooligan races we need. Uh, <laughs> for me, that's a little bit of a disappointment this year that we're basically stock 1000s getting bumped for, you know, the big twins. Um, I get where the money's at, but watch Road Atlanta, watch all these other races. The stock 1000 grid's probably going to be more filled than, than anything. Um, you see all these track date or not track days, but you see all these posts coming out now, uh, with all the wear races and armor races and CMRA races, and everybody's got Moto America patches on it. How much is that stolen valor? And I don't know. They're just rocking a Moto America patch and actually not a Moto America rider. I don't know. Cause that does happen. Uh, but man, it looks like a, it's going to be a stacked field and it's all us old timers out there in stock 1000, you know? Uh, and then of course you have the fast guys like the Yates and the, the Wyman's and, yeah, and depending on what track you go to, the stock 1000s can be pretty competitive. They can be right up there with the super bikes, which is uh, it's always nice to see. There's never a runaway, right? They're all pretty equal. Um, you don't see anybody just break away in stock 1000. So it's it's I think it's an entertaining race, and it's kind of it, it's kind of like the 600 race, I mean, even 600s, right? SDK and and Richie, they were just gone. Uh, hopefully, that's tighter now with with Heron and and um, Richie and those guys, but. Um, yeah, stock 1000, you don't know who's going to win that thing every year. I mean, it could be Mesa, it could be Alexander, it could be Wyman, Yates. Yeah, I think the, uh, the new May, 600 Jeff class, May. yeah, the new 600 class is just going to be all over the place. And uh, I don't think they've, um, 
Uh, not to say that they've done anything wrong, but I don't think the balance of performance is going to be perfect coming out of the gate. It can't, it can't be. And uh, Daytona 200 is too unique of a race to really have uh, uh, a fair display of the manufacturers. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think you might even see a little bit out with Road Atlanta too, some horsepower differences, uh, especially Road America. Anything with long straightaways, just like Daytona, the drafting is going to help out a ton. Uh, but when we get some of the tighter tracks, I think you'll see some differences. But I, ultimately, it's the guys with the budget, right? It's going to be the M4 guys. It's going to be the HSBK guys. It's going to be, um, well, heck, I guess that's Ducati and Paolo. Who is it? Uh, Ducati and Paolo Chibati. Yeah, I mean, so those guys. Uh, but, I mean, so it's still going to be your same usual suspect teams up there in 600 and they made it probably a little more difficult for the average uh, club racer or privateer to, to compete with some of those deals, but at least it's an option out there. But I mean, heck a, a base street bike nowadays, 20 grand, you know? So yeah. Well, I mean, you can buy um, the Kawasaki 600 for a $10,000 price point now. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's, that's yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but that's stock. I mean, you could race it, just um, get some bra uh, steel braided brake lines, I would assume, and uh, some change your tires. You'd be ready to go. That's it, man. If, there, if there's an epitome of race and stock, it's me. It's, <laughs> I have a steel braided brake lines now, the Galfers, of course, um, bodywork and um, some, some brake pads. Oh, and I have a Brembo master cylinder on there now, too, because the stock one, it's really weird that... Um, then we run a Nissan master cylinder, but then Brembo uh, <laughs> on it. So it's kind of mixed match. So I got everything matched up with that. And then the ECU is flashed from Paul Kensington with the KCS. Um, so that one's a little bit unlocked and ready to go to try to get maximum horsepower out of it. Cause again, I'm racing a street bike. I'm not on a, I'm not on a race bike. I'm on a street bike that I happen to be racing. So <laughs> was there any other part you would like to have on your bike? You don't know. I mean, because that probably already has uh, some sort of electronic quick shifter, maybe already. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and it's all auto blip because it is the S1. Uh, so it's not the S2. It doesn't have the Marshallinis or anything like that. Um, and some of the adjustments, like the engine's not all ported and stuff, and hand ported like the S2 does, SP2. But um, I don't know. The fun factor for me is the same. I mean, the thing's ripping fast. Uh, maybe to get to those next couple tents or something like that, I'd probably have to work on the suspension. But the suspension stock, and I just run that um, the stock suspension that came on the bike, and just make adjustments with that. So um, yeah, of course it's undersprung for me, but I've never really had an issue saying, "Oh, I can't get the bike to turn in," or you know, I'm losing grip or something like that. Uh, especially okay. in the sprint race. I mean, with Wira, you're talking six to maybe eight laps max, depending if it's a national national A superbike. I think we, I think some tracks we run ten laps. Uh, but for the most part, it's six to eight laps. So it's not too taxing. For sure. And uh, where can people find you online? Yeah. So I have the handle across the board. It's high rev Trev. So it doesn't matter if it's Instagram, Twitter, whatever, somehow I was able to secure that and all the platforms. So it's always high rev Trev. Uh, follow me on there. It's not um, private or anything like that. I kind of use it to promote and show some shenanigans and, and, uh, yeah, all about doing wheelies and having fun and racing and promoting the brands that kind of promote me and help me because obviously it, it's not cheap. 
And you can't do it without good backing, good support, good family base, like you were talking about. So my wife is instrumental in making sure everything kind of happens. Always on a program between her and my buddy, man, they got they got the schedule figured out. Uh, for me, I like to pretend I'm just a rider and show up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you got to have a good support crew for sure. But yeah, high rep tref um, on all platforms for sure. And you got the number 800, right? Yeah, 800 in Moto America, uh, stock 1000 class. Hopefully I'll be able to try to qualify for some Superbike Cup stuff. Um, I think Road Atlanta will be a little bit tall order, uh, but uh, Barber and stuff, I, I think will be closer and be able to hopefully get in some Superbike race as well. But yeah, number 800, um, the CBR 1000, Ride Red, T3OB, CBR. And then, uh, and we're, I'll be doing some one-off we're racing again. That's number 80 there. So I wanted to get 80 for Moto America, but uh, Hector Barber has that thing locked down. So he came in a year before I did and got the, got the double digit. So um, I think it's the first year Moto America, you have to have a three digit number. Next year you can have a, a two digit. That's right. Yep. Yep. It kind of solidifies your spot uh, in the championship for sure. It's kind of funky how it works. I think um, you have to at least have one championship point. Okay. And a double digit. So, I mean, there's some guys that have double digits that have never earned a championship point. So uh, maybe they're grandfathered in somehow, if you do more they, rounds. Yeah. They've probably just paid Moto America a lot of entry fees. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got to do to have a one digit? Is that any significance once you become a two digit placeholder? I think some of that might be career numbers, uh, like a Josh Heron, um, stuff like that, but I'm, I'm not quite sure how it works. I know with like Superbike or I'm sorry, Supercross and Motocross, uh, those become career numbers, the single digit stuff. Um, and you can also have a career number, double digit, you know, it's all for promotion, right? It's kind of like why some of those guys don't run the number one because all their swag and apparel and their merch, um, is their number. It never just has one on it. Right. So. Yeah. Would you rock the number one or keep your number? Oh, no, I'd rock it, man. You earn <laughs> it. Yeah, you you earn it. Um, I'm not selling merch or anything like that. But if I had the opportunity to ever run the number one, um, I'd want you earn that. Um, yeah. It's it's almost the same uh, as the Moto America patch we talked about earlier. Right. You earn that thing. You just can't show up and pay an entry fee and go to a Moto America race like you have to go through a series of qualifications and meet a, a certain amount of points. I think it's a hundred expert points and you have to complete six uh, expert weekends uh, throughout a season. So you just can't go, you know, one weekend here, show up two years later, do another weekend there and, and stack up. You can do that for the points. You have to get, you know, a hundred points within five years, uh, but you have to complete six weekends in a season. So um, yeah, if you have it, rock it, man. <laughs> for sure. And you know, some people will say, Oh, a pro license ain't shit. Well, I say that's, that's bullshit. You, you, you know, you can't knock a professional license because like you say, it takes work to get that. You have to prove that you're capable, you're a safe rider. And they don't only look at your race finishes. They look at um, how many times you crash in. Like, are you, yep. are you uh, taking out other riders? Like what is your reputation on the racetrack? Uh, that's an important factor when becoming a pro. Yeah. Uh, same thing with sponsorships, right? They look for that stuff. They look for your handles and, and see what kind of presence you have and your professionalism and, and things like that. But yeah, it's, it's earned, man. And it has to be six uh, successful weekends. So no crashes. It's yeah. like if you're a provisional novice and you crash out, man, you're not going to be the novice. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of similar in that case of it, but yeah, earning a pro card is, is definitely, um, it's, it's a dedication 
It's not something that you just, oh, I'm going to go for it. And that's kind of how it all started. Uh, I think I was going down that road before, but we uh, we're just sitting up on the hill at Barber a couple years ago and we we're talking about racing and this and that. And I was like, I used to race, but man, I'm much, I had a lot more fun doing track days and stuff and hanging out with my buddies and whatnot. And, and then we're looking at the lap times of the stock 1000. I'm like, well, wait a minute, those are lap times we're doing. So <laughs> we try it. So uh, long story short, I committed myself to it and went through the whole season uh, with Weir and, and earned my pro card and lost out on the senior Superbike championship by three points. Ah. <laughs> that one stung. Um, Dan Kruger put it to me the last two races. Actually, if you had considered the GNF uh, in there, um, I think I, I would have got it. But GNF is its own deal. Um, and no points awarded, just uh, bragging rights. Just bragging rights, yeah, in the, in the GNF. And I ended up finishing third that race. And, um, man, and I'm a racer, too. That that third place really quick was – that was a boring race. I'm out there just cutting lap times. There's nobody around me. I think Mickey and maybe Jeff May, they were gone. And it was still a stacked field, but I was just out there by myself and I came in like, what's wrong? I'm like, that was boring, <laughs> you know? And I was like, this next race, I think I'm starting 12th or 13th on the grid. I'd much rather race back there and be dicing it out for a top 10 or a top 15 and battling and having fun than just out there cutting lap times, you know? So, but it's, it depends on what you're looking for in a race like that. Right. There's no points. It's kind of difficult, but I mean, you're still got a, a safe podium if it's boring. That's true. Yeah, it's always nice to come away with that $8 piece of tin for the weekend, you know. <laughs> well, they actually upgraded the trophy since I've been getting them. Uh, we just got the wood with a little plaque on it. Now they have some different design uh, company doing it. Yeah, yeah, they're nice. Uh, they're cool. Yep, different. Uh, they're all metal. They're like all printed on metal. I have them in my, uh, I call them my pain cave where all my Peloton and workout gym is here downstairs. But yeah, so I have all that stuff in there and and I like to share, I like, ultimately, I also like to bring them home to my girls too. So I give them my trophies, you know, yeah. so they like, they like to see that and stuff. So it's a lot of fun. And after you get a lot of them, they keep stacking up. <laughs> they do, man. Yeah. Some, some of the relocations I've had to do with Honda. Um, I'm just throwing them away. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially like the big trophies and stuff. So you just take a picture of all the trophies and instead of carrying around hundreds of pounds of trophies. Right. I, the, I love the plaques, man. The plaques are awesome. <laughs> To see that wall back there it kind of looks like what my gym is even race numbers too i used to be a speed skater so you okay. said race numbers pinned on to us and stuff and yeah the ones on the sides are from like mountain bike races or foot races i've been doing okay different championships for that but yeah i mean they just sit after you for a while i moved seven years in a row every year um and so they just for a while they sit in boxes you're like what am i going to do with all this stuff right. and then like well I, I need some sort of background for my podcast so why don't i just nail into the wall and, and uh, go from there yeah, it looks good. Just make sure you put a Revit suit up there next time. Yeah, you know, I think what I really want to do is uh, get like a, a cloth or something like that, but have mm -hmm. it have it uh, all the logos that I that I sell or a board. You know, when this when yeah. the riders sit down in the garages, they have like a sponsor board behind them. Yeah, yeah, the little board. Just yeah, do all the logos because I have like thirty four brands that I sell now plus my logo to so be like thirty five yeah. different logos on the thing. I think that'd be probably more profitable than my. Uh, credentials yeah for sure and uh you can get those things relatively inexpensive not that i'm a promoter brand or anything but uh banner buzz uh, banner buzz yeah bannerbuzz.com they make uh stuff and it comes quick too like it's all made in india yeah here in the u.s but they outsource to india and you'll have it in less than a week and uh they always have like 50 percent off sales and stuff like that but i make little soccer uh flags for my team because i coach uh, u8 and u10 soccer oh nice 
we, we again, we, it's all about fun. So our team has flags and stuff like that. So I'll get some of those made. And man, it's they're quick. So and they have those repeater boards and those backgrounds that you're talking about. So yeah, not, not them or anything. That's a good source for sure. I'll check them out, uh, see what they got, and uh, yeah, just um, like for a while, you don't know what to put back there or for a backdrop. I'm like, I don't have anything to show. What am I gonna put out here? Right. But uh, yeah. but yeah, it's just the uh, the progression as things change. Yeah, it's um, I, I, that's a weird one back there too, isn't it? You got some weird ones up there. Oh yeah, the, all the black ones are weird. Black, that, okay. Kind of brown. But uh, most of them right behind my head are all the weird trophies. And then yeah. a lot of the ones around here. I got three championships for for Wera. Nice. There's another one behind me, right there. That's awesome. <laughs> Congrats. Um, man. I think it's like 50 podiums and and five championships between motorcycle road racing karting and uh, mountain bike racing okay yeah so that's awesome you just uh you know i couldn't afford motorcycle road racing for the last couple of years and uh so i'm trying to get into other stuff like like i said the mountain biking and the karting i i love doing that stuff too i'm not yeah. as good at the mountain biking because it requires a lot more a uh, pure physical uh endurance but uh when it comes to motorsports i'm right there with the times um it's just trying to fund it all is the hardest part yeah, racing across the board is expensive, right? Whether it's foot racing or bicycle racing, speed skating, it doesn't matter. It's just, when you get to a competitive level, you kind of want the best of the best. If you look at feel good type deal, you know, and you don't want somebody to have some sort of advantage because, you know, they're in a better shoe than you or have some better gearing than you or, or something like that. So that's when the prices start eking up to take it to that next level. But that's awesome, man. I, I feel like I'm kind of like you in that sense where I'm, I'm just a racer as well. Like I'll race anything. Oh, yeah. For sure. And, uh, you know, last year, maybe you heard me talk about it on another, another podcast, but last year I got into supermoto riding at the, at the track. Yep. Uh, I got uh, my first car track day weekend under my belt and I rented a real race cart and took that to the track too. So uh, oh, I've, been, wow. I've been getting into like uh, X30 horsepower carts, uh, tag carts, and uh, just trying to get my feel for a bunch of different things. And, uh, and now I've been doing track marshal stuff for, I think, six different organizations. Um, so trying to get the, a whole new aspect of the motorsports scene where you got, you're talking to race control and waving the flags and picking up motorcycles. Um, for Wera, CCS, ASRA, I did um, Moto America, IndyCar, and I'll be flying to Coda to do the MotoGP round and Miami to do um formula one and then nice. uh, i said i already did the arma event so that'll be eight organizations is that like an invite for that so yeah it's Reference. um you have to apply and um yeah. you have to be accepted type of thing um so i got i got uh i got invited to to apply because i actually knew one of the people running it and yeah. then um they accepted accepted me right away because i already have you know done i think 12 or 13 uh, weekends in the last year or so nice so, oh, no. that's gonna be a blast heck yeah i'm excited to do uh to do moto gp and hopefully i don't meet any riders in the in the corner or the gravel chat but you probably will and then uh formula one being a it's kind of a street circuit you know yeah, yeah, around the stadium, stadium. Right? um that'll be super unique uh you know i did the indycar at st petersburg earlier this year and that was a street circuit that was my first yep, street yeah. circuit working so that was pretty uh, interesting. There's not a ton of great places to spectate, 
um, it's just a difficult circuit for the drivers. Yeah. Have you, is uh, Nashville on the market this year or on the schedule for IndyCar again? Um, I'm not sure they're full, they're full schedule, but um, I took a picture of it on my phone earlier for the back of a t-shirt in there in their merch stand. I was like, that's the, my schedule for now on. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, man. But that's yeah, cool. I'm just trying to uh, see the sport from a new angle and maybe make a career out of doing something like this. Uh, you know, it's not incredible pay, but you get to be at the racetrack, be in the action. Yeah, yeah. And like, uh, sometimes I like get the day 200, 200, you, you probably couldn't tell it was me, but I was on camera like 50 times. Um, you know, at, I was at corner three the whole time. So okay. I was the flagger at that station. And um, I mean, there's there's a couple of times where they said, oh, the yellow flag is out. And they were talking about me holding the flag. And I'm like, that's yeah. awesome. So I saved it you know, on my phone. But that's uh, awesome. it's just kind of blurry. It's too far to tell my face what my face looks like. But I know where I was standing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Because, I mean, the pay is we all pay to be in the sport. So to. Yeah opportunity and see the other angles of it man it's fantastic it's almost like with me with kind of honda you know we get we, we get to look behind the curtain a little bit <laughs> beyond what's on the on the public side of it but yeah that's that's cool stuff maybe like yeah. some some of my other buddies are doing it um corner working and you know you and i think daniel shoemake and oh yeah and those guys and yeah so yeah it's pretty interesting you know i'd, I'd recommend it to anybody who rides or races or has been at a racetrack it's um, so different than maybe what you expect. It's probably, it's like, uh, I think what they call flying or what they say about flying, where it's uh, long periods of boredom with uh, yeah. short periods of chaos or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense. Because a lot of times there's been days where nothing has happened in my corner and I didn't have to do anything. No flag. I mean, so you usually put a yellow flag out for certain situations, even if there's an off and on or something. Depends right. on where they run off, but um but yeah, even for for slow for slow riders in Moto America, they don't want a flag out because that would um, that would stop passing. So they if there's somebody going slow and maybe has a mechanical issue, they they don't want to fly because then they can't pass. That's like it's counterintuitive sometimes. Yeah, it, is. it depends on the org too that you kind of mentioned that because we're a they're all different flags at all. <laughs> Yeah. So you'll be coming up on a lapper with some 15, 20 mile hour speed difference and they have no clue you're coming. Yeah. And they're like, well, we don't want to spook the rider. I'm like, well, what's going to be more spookier? <laughs> a flag or someone coming by you at 30 miles an hour faster off 30, 30 millimeters away from you. Yeah. So depending on the org, and I think Daytona has different settings too, like a waving, uh, like a waving debris flag or versus a rain flag or something like that too? Or Yeah. In Moto America, almost all flags are waved. There's only the stationary yellow that's not waved. Yeah. Uh, and there's no ambulance flag because they don't put an ambulance on the track um, unless they, the track well, until right. the track is clear. So they don't even have to worry about that. Um, they don't use, I don't know why, but I had a white flag in my, in my bag we don't use the white flag. That's maybe <laughs> only for start finish for last lap, but in MotoGP, they don't have a white flag. They only, they use no. a, a yellow board for one lap to go and two lap, and two laps to go. Um, it's just a, a board that's neck that's held out. So yeah, every single organization is different. So just like a rider's meeting, there's always a corner workers meeting before or the day before to go over the flags. And there's a PowerPoint, you know, um, given by, 
MotoGP commercials and all that stuff. And uh, there's questions and, you know, forums of sorts to make sure we got everything understood. And, and obviously the most important thing is the worker's safety. Um, because if you, if you get hit, if you get hurt or injured, you can't help somebody else. So it's about, you know, staying behind all the barriers at Daytona, unlike anywhere else, maybe Homestead also, Homestead Miami, they did it. But they will, they can see everything from the tower anyways. They're watching yeah. all the stations, probably with binoculars, I don't know. Um, but they will say sometimes, you know, turn four, please get behind a tire barrier. We can see you from our station now. So like yeah. they're actually looking out for our safety even though we're supposed to be in charge of our safety, we got more eyes than just ours. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it'd be like a universal um, just flagging deal, right? Like universal like guideline. This is what it is. Cause even in AFM, I think uh, for sure the track days out there and I think AFM, like a red flag, you just, you don't come off the track. You go to the next flag station and stop at that flag station off to the side of the track. So you don't, they don't wait for everybody to come into the pits. Like they're trying to get that ambulance out on track as quick as possible. So you just go to a flag station and, and sweat your balls off for 20, 30 minutes. And, you know, just. And See, every, the, the problem I've run into or maybe realized is that every single racetrack, not everyone, but it seems like just about everyone's a different company. They're run by different organizations. They have different yeah. owners. So they have different policies and different rules. They can do whatever the hell they want. There's no. I mean, some there's a bunch of tracks I know owned by Daytona Motorsports groups, mostly yeah, like NASCAR yeah. tracks and things like that. So maybe those are different, but uh, for the most part, they're all their own unique entities, and they're all like they're all gung ho about doing their own thing. I guess I don't know. There's no like union of racetracks that I know of that now that have the same rules. Because every time when I'm doing these different organizations, sometimes I'm paid by the racetrack, sometimes I'm paid by the the race organizer. Sometimes yeah. nobody knows who I'm paid by. It's like it's all over the place. Or it's sometimes yeah. a different company that's that's uh, managing the corner workers. It's like it's I, <laughs> it's all over the place. What's the big one? Is it FDF or something like that? It's the big big flag uh, corner. Yeah, worker. there's flagging by Phoenicia. Yep. Um, Phoenicia is a great great woman. She does the southern events. She does Barber. I think Road Atlanta. Um, probably some other ones down there. I've worked with her at, uh, at Barber a couple of times in October. I worked with a Moto America one down there. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's, uh, like I said, it's all over the place, but it's interesting to not only hear the radio communication, cause you get all the facts from the track. You hear like, Oh, rider 800. He, he's, uh, you know, he cut the blend line on exiting pit, you know, and they'll report that stuff. Anything yeah. that goes wrong that we think is like an issue or like a rider, 32 he's got his zipper down you know his he's got a uh, a leather mal malfunction he's got to come in and do up his his leathers there was a couple of times at daytona where the riders didn't know what a meatball flag is supposed to do it's um they would stop at our station um and it's supposed to you know come into the pit lane and all that stuff um yeah. so so meatball there's a mechanical you have an issue with it black flags you're dq'd Yep. Um, and so there's also other, other reasons you could be like, um, you could be dropping oil on the track or something like yeah. that. Or, um, I think in this case it was a transponder issue. He didn't have a transponder on his, mm -hmm. on his bike. So they meatball flagged him. Yeah. So. Too many rules, man. <laughs>
but uh, that's about an hour and a half already. So yep. I guess we could probably wrap this up and um, hopefully I'll post another podcast or two in the next day, day or so. And um, I appreciate yeah. you talking to me. No problem. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And if we ever see you out the track, you know, to Moto America or track day or whatever we're at, man, swing on by and look for all the, the ride red Honda stuff. Cause that's what our tents always uh, covered in and uh, come by for a drink or something, man. For sure. We'll do. I think next one I'll be at uh, Coda MotoGP. And then after that, probably um, the first uh, second round would be road Atlanta in Georgia. Yeah, I'll be there making the debut. So, all so. right. And are you doing a full season this year of the no, Moto just America? A couple, just a couple. I think the plan is um, uh, Road Atlanta, just the local stuff, right? Uh, especially now with the gas so expensive. But uh, Road Atlanta, uh, maybe Virginia, and then uh, Barber for sure. So those, uh, those are the three we're gonna do, and it, we'll see what happens next season. But again, it's for fun, not chasing the championship or any sort of glory. Just gonna go make some memories, man. Very good. Well, I'll see you at the racetrack. Cool. Thanks, Eric. You're welcome. All right, bye.